SEO. Number one, it's almost football season, praise God. <laughs> I mean, baseball, really? I mean. But the other reason is, as you see here, Leon Lett, this is from way back in the day when the Cowboys were good, and um, he didn't finish. He slowed down, and in reality, he didn't have endurance, not because he was tired, but because he was distracted. And so today, we're going to be discussing that. You can bring up the, uh, the PowerPoint slide. Do you remember now, before we get into this, um, Paul is in prison. He's facing death for preaching the gospel. And the gospel was very offensive to people who did not embrace it. People who were of different faiths, people who hated Christians. The gospel stirred up a lot of controversy, and that's the reason that Paul is in prison. He wasn't in prison for stealing anything. He wasn't in prison for bad behavior of any type. He was in prison for what he preached was that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. But he displayed amazing endurance through this. How do you think Paul's endurance in his faith as he's going through prison affected the Philippians? How do you think the Philippians inspired his endurance? Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how you love one another through endurance. Because frankly, church has to have endurance. And so we're going to look at a passage. I, don't, I think they're having a little trouble with the screen, so I'm just going to read this to you. We're starting with basically two passages today. Uh, but first one, we're going to do Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 21. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Remember, the, the, the context of what Paul was talking about, he says, you know, there are dogs out there who preach a false gospel. There are people who preach that religion is the way to go, that, that you can climb this religious ladder of success and obtain favor with God. And he says, let me tell you something, if anybody has reason to have confidence in the flesh, it's me. And he lists all the reasons why he would have the ability to have more confidence in his flesh than anyone else. And he lists it all. Boom, boom, boom. And now on the heels of that, he comes to this passage and he says, I want you to know something. I don't feel like I've already arrived or that I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We discussed last week about how Christianity is the only religion in the world where righteousness is not earned, righteousness is not achieved, but righteousness is imparted to us by the work of Jesus on the cross. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own but one thing I do, forgetting those things which lie behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. 
And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even that also to you. In other words, think this way, and if you think something else, we pray that God changes your mind. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, us meaning Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Paul. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul is stirring up a lot of controversy in Philippians chapter 3. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with the mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await, our sa- wait, await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so this is the passage, and he finishes up chapter 3, and chapter 4 is a much warmer chapter as we go into that starting next week. But chapter 3 is a pretty harsh chapter. And he ends it by saying, don't you relax. Don't give up. Remember, he starts it off, be sober, be mindful, there's dogs. They want to adulterate the gospel. And then he says, if you think you can be religious, let me tell you why I would be able to have more confidence than you. And then he follows it up by saying, but I don't feel like I've attained anything. Christ has attained it for me, and I press on toward the goal. I will continue to endure even in my chains, even in this dark, damp, musty cave of a prison that I'm in for the sake of Christ, I will endure. And you know, this relationship between Paul and the Philippians, it kind of fed each other, right? And what we see in this passage are ingredients for endurance. I'm just going to break it down for you. The first ingredient we see is dissatisfaction, verses 12 and 13. Here's what he says. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forget what lies behind, and strain forward to what lies ahead. He was dissatisfied with where he was in his walk with Jesus. I mean, we are blessed by the memories of the path behind us, right? We can look back and and we can be thankful to God for what he's done in our life and our heart and how he's changed us and transformed us. We can look back on the past and see the victories in our faith, the difficult times and all those things. But Paul says we got to forget about that at some point and go forward. There's a passage in Matthew 17, verse 14. This is interesting because Jesus took... Well, let me read it to you. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John, his brother, led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And Jesus was transformed before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, and they were talking with Jesus. And these were Jewish men, understand. So here's what Peter says. Lord, it is good for us to stay right here. If you're willing to let us, let us build a tabernacle, a place of dwelling to live right here. One for you, one for Moses, 
and one for Elijah. We want to commemorate this event. This is an amazing thing. I can't believe that we see Moses and Elijah talking with you. Jesus, we don't want to leave this place. We want to stay right here. And later Jesus says, no, we can't stay here. We got work to do. Peter and James and John were satisfied to stay right there. But for us to have endurance, we must be dissatisfied with where we are as a church. We must be dissatisfied with where we are individually. We have to be dissatisfied to such a degree that we don't want to stay where we are. We want to continue to go forward, knowing full well that going forward there might be valleys. There might be peaks. There might be challenges. But nevertheless, we press on. The second ingredient is progression. Verse 14 to 16, it says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If you think anything otherwise, God will reveal it to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul talks about the fact that there must be progression. We must be determined. That's what he says, I press on. I'm determined to continue going. Even in my chains, even though I'm facing death, I'm facing possible decapitation, I will press on. You Philippians must press on. I need you to press on. So we must press, and we must be focused. He says, I press toward the goal. Guys, there's a goal we have. Can you imagine? You know, I don't really like to watch golf all that much, but I did enjoy watching it when Tiger was killing everybody. I remember he would be winning these tournaments, you know, and, and you know, the British Open or the Masters. I remember when he won his first Masters, right? And it was incredible. And I just started thinking about this. Could you imagine what would have happened if Tiger is up by like three or four strokes, he's in the Masters, and he heads up to the 18th tee box, you know, and he lines it up, and he's getting ready to, to swing. And suddenly, instead of aiming for the pin on the 18th tee, he turns and knocks a 375-yard drive to tee, or to pin number 17. What would the commentators be saying? Wow, he crushed that ball. You see how far it went? Wow, Tiger is a fantastic golfer. Look at the swing. Let's break down that swing, will you? And some British guy comes, well, yes, he comes back with his arms just like this, and he swings. And they go through and they talk about what a beautiful swing he has, but he hit it 375 yards in the wrong direction. Straight as an arrow, beautifully, the wrong way. As a church, sometimes, you know, we have a beautiful swing. Sometimes perfect form. But because we forget the basic principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we try to mix it with other things, we aim the wrong direction. Away from the prize of the upward call of Jesus. As a matter of fact, in the Hebrew, book of Hebrews, some people think Paul wrote it, some people think Peter, people aren't really sure. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. We have much to say about this, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. In other words, there's a lot I could tell you, and I'm kind of frustrated that I have to go back here. Because by this time, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to come back and teach you again the basic principles 
of the truth of God. You need milk and not solid food. We discussed this once before in another sermon. You see, we have to be in a situation where we're making progress in such a way that, that we aren't sidetracked by the wrong things, the wrong principles, the wrong philosophies. We have to keep going. Even when the church looks great, the direction can be off, and we never accomplish the goals that we are set out to accomplish. The next ingredient is imitation. He says this in verse 17 through 19. He says, brothers, join me, or join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now even tell you with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame with their mindset on earthly things. Earthly things just doesn't mean money, by the way. In context, he is again encouraging the Philippians to stay away from those who teach something other than the gospel and stay aligned and imitate those who teach the gospel. Paul knew his story would be used by God to teach the Philippians what faith can do. So he said, you see me, right? I'm in prison. I'm facing death. This is how you should be enduring. This is the durability that you should have in your faith. Yes, you will go through difficulties, but look what I'm going through, and God is keeping me. He's keeping me. He can certainly keep you. And then the last ingredient that we see in this passage is expectation in verse 20 and 21. And he says this, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Part of the motivation for endurance is the end result of our faith. I'm going to read this passage. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, through chapter 5, verse 3. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, which is this life, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things which we see, but the things which we can't see. For the things which we see are temporary or transient, but the things that we don't see are eternal. For we know that the tent that is our earthly home will be destroyed, but we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we will not be found naked. Isn't that beautiful that Paul writes that? That capsulates the idea of expectation. For us to have endurance, we must be dissatisfied. For us to have endurance, we must continue to focus on progression. We must imitate those who have walked before us and walking alongside of us who are true to the gospel turning our back from those whose God is their belly and turning our eyes toward those whose God is Jesus. And then 
we have to have an expectation of understanding the end result of our faith is this glorification. Guys, there are many things that serve to derail us. Denominational debates, they're raging right now, even in the PCUSA. But not just ours, other denominations as well, raging. There's criticism of each other and other denominations and other churches in town. Some of it is fair, some of it is unfair, but criticism can derail us and try to hamper our endurance. Bad theology can hamper our endurance. Paul even says that. Don't be like others. Follow those who trust Jesus. Finances, personal and church-wide finances, can be a huge deterrent to endurance. Political conflicts and interpersonal conflicts, inside the church, outside the church. People consider themselves right when they're conservative. People consider themselves right when they're liberal. People say, I'm righteous because I'm in the middle, and there's this arrogance on all sides, and there's conflict politically, conflict with each other. There's personal tragedies that can derail you from endurance. Losing a loved one, losing a job, <clears throat> getting a bad diagnosis from the doctor, and then there's personal failures. Our own sin can derail us and get us away from those ingredients of being dissatisfied and progression and imitating others who are like Christ and, and having an expectation of what's going to be like in heaven. These are all things that can serve to derail us. Let me ask you, do you think Paul faced any of these pressures? Did he? You know, Paul had made a commitment to the Philippians. He would never turn, their back, turn his back on them. And they would never turn their back on him. Why? Not because Paul had a good personality. I don't know if he did or not. He certainly made people angry, so probably not. That part I can probably relate to a little bit. But Paul and the Philippians were committed to one another for one reason, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They knew, the Philippians did, that in Paul, they had a reliable, durable, honest ally, and he would never change. Paul also knew, as he endured prison, that the Philippians were with him, just as he knew Timothy was with him, Epaphroditus. See, the nature of life sends these things constantly, and they can cause anxiety, depression, bitterness, anger. Can you imagine what the effect would have been on the Philippians if God had not kept Paul and he had given up? Fine, don't kill me. I denounce Jesus. Fine, don't kill me. I'll stop saying that the Judaizers were wrong. Fine, don't kill me. I'll just stop telling people about salvation. Can you imagine the impact it would have had on the Philippians? Why didn't he give up? 
I mean, why wouldn't, why wouldn't Paul facing death, the ultimate price, political derision, social outcast, why wouldn't he just say, you know what, this is not worth the trouble. I'd rather have peace. I'd rather everybody just get along. I'm tired of taking a stand. I'm weary. I'm worn out. I'm finished. Why did he not do that? Because his faith was durable. His faith was lasting. His faith was irreversible. See, we spoke last week about how we can have humble confidence because our faith doesn't require us to have confidence in our ability to accomplish a set of standards. Our faith does not require us to climb a religious ladder of success. Our faith is hinged upon Jesus imparting to us his righteousness and him taking from us our unrighteousness. That's why we can have humble confidence in our faith. Our faith enables us to stay in the fight, side by side, back to back, shoulder to shoulder. We can look over during one of those times of personal failure or political conflict or denominational debates or bad theology or finances or personal tragedy, all those things We can look over during those times and see, because of the durability of all of our faith in Christ, we are not alone. God is keeping us. God is saving us. And Paul even says, as our outward body is deteriorating, our inward self is being renewed and replenished and restrengthened day by day by day. Every day, he says, it's made anew. When we look and see that God keeps the body of Christ right with us, going nowhere, that is when we can find inspiration, motivation, courage, and even a second wind. Serving Jesus, if it's easy, you're not doing something right. Spurgeon said, faith is made glorious when it's tested. Paraphrasing. Faith is made strong when it's challenged. That's why James says, count it a privilege when you go through different trials because your faith is tested and it produces joy and steadfastness. But guys, this means if we're going to love each other through endurance... We can't eat our own. Because I believe that's a sign that we may not have faith. And I struggle with that. When I start focusing on the deficiencies of those around me, the faith that God has given me pulls me back and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Why do you think you have the right to judge? Remember, I gave you the righteousness you have. You didn't earn it. I gave it to you. You didn't do anything to accomplish what's going on in your life. Nothing. I accomplished it for you on the cross. 
We can be very vicious to each other, can't we? But what happens with faith? Faith can begin to feed on itself. And as a group and as a family, faith can become like a positive feedback loop where good news causes more good news and good news causes more encouragement and motivation. Because the confidence is in the gospel. That's what gives us our durability. And we explained that last week. We can have endurance because our confidence is in Christ keeping us faithful. Now look, unlike Leonlet, we will all make it across the goal line. If God has saved us, if God has given you the gift of faith, we will make it across the goal line with our faith intact. The enemy's chasing hard behind us. He's trying to rip the ball out, I promise you. But our faith is durable. And when we bask in that durability, we realize our faith is more durable than any of us can imagine. And if God has imparted that faith to us, we will be able to love our fellow believers through endurance. Because that endurance, when we look to each other and we see, you know what? He made it through that. So can I. She made it through this. So can I. I'm going to do what they did when they went through this. That's why it's good to share with one another. This is what happened when I went through this. This is what's going on in my life now. That's what Paul said. Listen, I'm in prison, and it's terrible here. But every time I think about you Philippians and how you've grown in Christ and how faithful you are, every time I get a report, it just fills my heart with this tremendous joy and excitement and your durable faith, your endurance in the faith is a massive inspiration to me. That's how we can love one another through endurance because God has called us, God has given us faith, and that faith is more durable than you can ever imagine. It, watch it in others and then watch it unfold in your own life.